Well, good evening, brethren and sisters and young people. It's good to be back into our class again after a few weeks' absence. And, um, of course, we have the opportunity with tonight to, to put in that extra class so that we don't actually miss one out with the, um, with the Song of Solomon. We concluded our, our studies last class Partway through the second song, we got into chapter two and verse one, and dealt with the the rose and the uh, the lily um, as we concluded our study. Uh, so we're still actually in song two, which takes us from uh, verse nine of chapter one through to verse seven of chapter two. Um, and of course, the general title for that was expressions of love. Um, we should be able to quite easily get through that and song three. Uh, this evening, the rest of this song and into song three and conclude that. That's what we're intending to do anyway. Um, in the song two that we've done so far, the thing that I suppose we need to to um, to just stress is that we have in this song, and that's why we've called it Expressions of Love, we've got the bride and the groom talking to each other, or rather I suppose talking to the bridal party about their beloved. And it's almost a case of trying to outdo each other as the bride says something about um, uh, her beloved so the groom responds and says something concerning her and um, there's almost as I said this, this trying to outdo each other with the, the expressions that they use concerning each other it's a very beautiful chapter and one of course as we've already seen has got a lot of exhortation for us above all I suppose it causes us to reflect upon our own attitudes to our beloved um, the bride is able to speak in very exaggerated terms as we're going to see concerning her beloved and we ask ourselves do we really feel that way about the Lord Jesus Christ so we come on then into chapter 2 and verse 2 um, we're introduced now to the groom and he responds to what the bride has just said the bride has spoken and, and she has ended up by talking of herself as being very plain that's a general idea that's meant in the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley, two very common flowers in Israel at the time, and the idea is that she sees herself as very plain, very ordinary. And now the groom takes that up, and in answer, in verse 2, he says to her basically, no, you're not. I see you as something absolutely special. And so special, in fact, that he says, no, he says, yes, you're like a lily, but you're like a lily, because she's already called herself the Shoshana, the lily, he said, all right, you're a lily, but you're like a lily amongst thorns. And uh, you couldn't get a greater exaggerated point. You couldn't get two more extremes than that, than the beautiful lily and the thorn. And so he's saying, very simply, that she stands out. She's, she is um, uh, much better than all of those around her. And so he says, you're like the lily amongst the thorns, so is my love, among the daughters. And so as he looks around at the women that he can see, and the daughters, of course, would include the bridal party, he says of her as she is the best of them. This, of course, is a reminder um, that, of course, few are, many are called and few are chosen. There are many daughters, but there's only one lily. And it's narrowing down, of course, the ecclesia. The daughters here, of course, is a general term, could be used for a general term for Israel. In fact, we'll pick it up in a moment. It's the word that is actually used of Israel as a nation. And, uh, but amongst Israel, of course, there were very few who would qualify here as the lilies. And she is amongst thorns. The word for thorns there, uh, literally, they say from the, from the Hebrew means to sting. And it's obviously there referring to a stinging nettle. 
something that not is only not only is sharp but affects people and um, uh, there could well be of course the warning there that comes from the history of Israel that there were those who would affect others and tried to affect the faithful um, if uh, people got too close to them you know interesting we we the night that in fact I think it was the night that we did this last the, we did the last study which is what three four weeks ago five weeks ago uh, when we did that study the reading had been from readings have been from um, Ezekiel and I can't remember the chapter I meant to write it down but in that chapter Ezekiel actually said to, to Yahweh I am like I am beset with thorns um, and he saw himself as being being beset amongst thorns anyone remember what that was I suppose what was it? Anyway, it's in Ezekiel, and and he and he speaks of his position as being there amongst the thorns. And I thought at the time I didn't write it down, but I thought at the time it's a very good expression of what we're talking about because Ezekiel, as all the faithful, would be represented by the lily. The faithful in Israel are the lily here, and of course the ones that they found themselves amongst were thorns. If we like to take that into the time of Christ, Christ would have been the lily and the, the ecclesia, and the thorns were of course those who opposed them then and we come to our own day and the same thing applies the ecclesia is like the lily and there is of course unfortunately thorns are there also and so um, the application seemed to fit very well in Ezekiel's day because that's the term that he used um, so is my love among the daughters now as we said the term daughters is actually that's one that's used of Israel I want you to turn through to um, Lamentations um, where some of these phrases actually are used in the in the prophecy here Lamentations is after Jeremiah I think <coughs> uh, Lamentations um, if I'm here, Lamentations 2 and verse 18 uh, like many of the prophets uh, the terminology that they use is very much the terminology of the Song of Solomon for instance look at verse 10 the elders of the daughter of Zion here's our phrase daughter the daughters the elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence they have cast dust upon their heads they have girded themselves with sackcloth the virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground there's two of the phrases straight out of Song of Solomon which refer of course to, to natural Israel they were the daughters of Yahweh and of course they were the virgins in verse 18 is the one that we wanted particularly to quote their heart cried unto Yahweh speaking of Israel their heart cried unto Yahweh O wall of the daughter of Zion let tears run down like a river day and night give thyself no rise, rest let not the apple of thine eyes cease so they, they are here termed as the daughters and they are uh, calling upon Yahweh. They are also referred to there as the apple of the, thine eye. Now the interesting thing is the word daughter and the word apple are the same in the Hebrew. In that verse both those words are the same. It's the word bath. And it can either be translated as daughter or as apple. As the daughter was the favourite one if you like in the, in the family that they looked upon. So the term is therefore used for the eye the apple of the eye um, when you come back into Song of Solomon chapter 2 therefore there's quite a good connection with the next verse you can understand why in the next verse the bride when she answers says you're like the apple tree because he's just used a word which in the Hebrew can refer to an apple 
So she's actually taken that up, the apple of the eye, she's taken that up and she, although it's a different word, um, she picks up the term apple used in a different sense in verse 3. But that word daughter, as we said, is found there. Also in Psalm uh, uh, 17 and verse 8, it's the same word translated again as apple um, when it speaks of Israel as being the apple of the eye. And so um, it uh, is this good connection that, of course, in these, uh, in these two quotations I've just given you, the term daughter or apple of the eye is particularly related to the nation of Israel. That's the daughters of this verse. 17 and uh, Psalm 17 and verse 8. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Now again notice, if, we, if you're following the reading, that the word shadow comes out in verse 3 of Song of Solomon 2 as well. So we've got the word daughter, which can be translated as apple, and the quotation here in Psalm, 8, Psalm 17 links it with shadow, and that's what we find in verse 3. So Psalm 17 and verse 8 is a good quote to put alongside verse 2 and 3 to pick up the spiritual import of what it's talking about. So the bride, uh, so the groom, as I said in verse two, uh, then uh, emphasises the the position of the bride in his eyes that she is like a lily amongst thorns. She's different to all the rest of the daughters. And now the bride answers, and she, as we said, almost tries to outdo him because she now answers in very exaggerated terms concerning him. He has said that she's like a lily amongst thorns. Well, he says, well, as for you, you're like an apple tree amongst the trees of the forest. So she likens him now to something which is totally different to the, if you like, the bland trees of the wood which wouldn't have had their blossom or fruit. And in, a po- in opposition to that or in contrast to that, he re- he's represented by the apple tree, something which, of course, has blossom to start with. So there we've got the contrast between, if you like, trees of the forest which wouldn't normally have any any flower, any um, blossom. There's a contrast there with beauty but also of course the apple brought forth fruit which the tree of the, the forest wouldn't do and so there's the idea of fruitfulness as well. So beauty and fruitfulness are her example in using him as the apple tree. The word apple there in the, um, uh, in the Hebrew uh, means to smell sweetly it's not so much to do with the fruit as they suggest to do with the blossom which precedes it and that becomes a theme of the Song of Solomon it will come out in the next song particularly that the word blossom is used extensively through the Song of Solomon because of its fragrance and this word really means fragrance or to smell sweetly there's no idea as to what fruit it actually is it's the same word that's the word that's translated apple on many occasions uh, in the Old Testament uh, and many suggest that rather than the apple it's probably the apricot or some suggest one of the citrus um, but whatever it is it's, a, it's something which, is, um, uh, which has a very strong blossom on it um, Proverbs 25 and verse 11 you can write down alongside that where the word apple is used very beautifully of words that are fitly spoken um, you probably recall Proverbs 25 verse 11 a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a basket of silver and there's that beautiful expression of, of a basket that's woven out of silver and then one places in it, into it a bright coloured fruit they suggest it's probably the orange, the citrus but it shines out through the lattice work of the basket and that is likened to 
That is likened to fit words. So we could add, when we're spiritually looking at the apple tree here, that she would be applying, as we said, to beauty and to fruitfulness, but we could add that to now, that we could add that spiritually from Proverbs 25, that it refers to the words of his mouth. Because he's used a word which the Proverbs says is figurative of fit words. Now you can't get, a, again, perhaps a better example than the Lord Jesus Christ of that principle of fit words. And he is the beloved, he is the apple tree of this song. So the apple fits him very beautifully. It fits there for beauty, for fruitfulness and for the, um, uh, for the appropriateness of his words. The word app, the phrase or the word apple is actually found in three other occasions in the Song of Solomon. It's found in chapter 2 verse 5. Um, you know, this comes down to comfort me with apples. Chapter 7 verse 8 and chapter 8 verse 5. So the word apple is used four times in the Song of Solomon. Right, I'll say it again so that you can put it down alongside there. Chapter uh, In the same chapter in verse 5, uh, chapter 7 and verse 8, and chapter 8 and verse 5. I don't think I've ever done a study of the scriptures where I've done a book which has more repetition of words in it. You know, you can, in, when you're doing a study in other books and you come across a word which is repeated, uh, you immediately have a clue to an important word because if it's used any more than two or three times, it's important. Well, in the Song of Solomon, it's, you know, you lose count of the number of words that are repeated over and over and again through the book. Um, and uh, we could, have, I suppose, therefore say the words are important and certainly the, the spiritual principles that are applied, um, it is necessary for us to see them. So that word apple occurs four times. All right, so he's like an apple tree amongst the trees of the wood. That's her way in which she expresses him. And then she says, um, I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And your margin puts it as it would be in the Hebrew, and that is, I was so delighted I sat down under his shadow. Um, so she's expressing the fact, she's looking at it literally, she's looked at the tree and been so enthralled by it and so delighted by it that she comes to sit under its shadow. And then she says, and she takes of his fruit, his fruit was sweet unto my taste. Now the term shadow there, of course, as we've just already picked up in uh, Psalm 17 and verse 8, speaks of protection. It's the word that's used to protection extensively, particularly through the Psalms. I'll give you a couple, I suppose. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 7. Psalm 36, verse 7. The two of the many quotes in the Psalms, particularly, where the word shadow is used in the terms of protection, where David says that he can rest under the shadow of, um, of Yahweh. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 7, and uh, Psalm 36, verse 7. But of course delighted with this is delight. So it's not just the idea of protection but there is, there is emotion involved as well. And we need always of course to keep those things in balance. It's the balance between uh, fear and reverence, isn't it? And here we've got protection and we see that principle but it's a delight to be there. And so we, we look at our position in the ecclesia, the position we're brought into through the word and we're delighted by the position that we're in. And his fruit, it says... Was, um, it was sweet to my taste now fruit again is a theme of the Song of Solomon uh, it occurs five times this word fruit um, 
chapter here of course at chapter 4 verse 13 and verse 16 chapter 8 verse 11 and verse 12 read them again chapter 4 verses 13 and 16 chapter 8 verse 11 and 12 so five times this word occurs again because fruitfulness of course is a very important spiritual principle which we would be very well aware of and she is talking of one who has brought forth fruit because later on in the next song Israel is to be likened the bride is to be likened to a fig tree and we take our minds to the New Testament and remember that that was why the Lord Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit the fruitfulness is a very important principle for us to understand and when it comes to Christ the fruit was there there was a tree loaded with fruit and we have the benefit of that fruit because of course we taste of it as well as we come under the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ um, I've got a couple of quotes here of course where the tree and its fruit are emphasised Psalm 1 verse 3 and Revelation 22 2 and remember those two verses you may remember those verses are linked together because they speak of the tree of righteousness in Psalm 1 and verse 2 it's a tree which brings forth fruit in its season in Revelation 22 verse 2 it has 12 manner of fruits same thing it brings forth its fruit in its season and of course it's for the healing of the nations in Revelation 22 verse 2 so this idea of fruitfulness and bringing forth fruit is a very important principle that we need to pick up from the word of God I dare say anybody that's heard our talks on, on nature will have heard us talking about or may have done studies themselves on trees and, and uh, plants in scripture and that comes out very strongly there the principle of the fruit bearing trees and how important they are to life and spiritually of course it speaks of us bringing forth fruit to God and finally she ends up by saying and his fruit was sweet to my taste or palate of course which is as we'd understand the word taste alongside that you can put down Psalm 119 where that same word taste or palate is used again and it's a very beautiful chapter which deals actually with a person's delight for the word of God and of course is, um, is all to do with a person loving and seeking out uh, God's word and in Psalm 119 in verse 105 it says um, sorry it's not 105 because that's the word lamp 103 Psalm 119 verse 103 same idea is presented here how sweet are thy words unto my taste yea sweeter than honey to my mouth and so um, the very thoughts that um, we've just been talking about that are, are found here in verse 3 the reason why uh, she loves her beloved is because of course the fruit and of the words of his mouth verse 4 she says that she has been elevated to come into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love the word banqueting house literally in the Hebrew is house of wine uh, wine of course being a very important again spiritual principle in the word of God and uh, I've got down the two I think the two main things for wine the first is of course rejoicing to talk about going into his banqueting house was of course to speak of rejoicing, rejoicing with him so rejoicing would be the first idea and of course to us spiritually very importantly wine would introduce us to the emblems and we could by extension say when we go in on a Sunday morning and partake of wine we are in the 
house of wine we're in the banqueting house and it is joy for us to be there and to be associated with that wine so the privilege which the bride had here is one that's um, uh, that is of course reflected in the ecclesia of God that we regularly have the opportunity to go into the house of wine and it says that his banner over me was love the banner here and there are several words for banner in the Hebrew and they can be used for different ideas this one is always in a military sense it's a military banner and I've got a, uh, the meaning for, for here from Gesenius and it's very very beautiful because it says that it is very literally a banner to follow after and never desert a banner to follow after and never desert there apparently is in the Hebrew in the words for banner the indication of whether it is just the banner itself which is important um, but in this case it is in fact a, the idea suggested by the word is it's a banner which you follow after and uh, you never desert it and of course it's a, it's a beautiful phrase when we think we're talking here of a position between a husband and a wife we're talking of a bride talking about her husband and she says that he's like a banner to follow after and never desert and of course we're reminded of the vows of marriage as, as a young couple uh, stand and make their vows it is that it is for life in better in, in for better or worse for sickness or in health in prosperity or adversity um, and uh, so it goes through uh, never desert is the idea of the bind of marriage so it's a very very appropriate word for, for her to use about her husband um, it's interesting that really it's a reversal of the roles because the word for meat in Genesis 2 a help meat, the word for meat there is to surround or to protect as an army so it's the same idea in a sense taken but now it's applied to the groom and reminds us of course that we each have, the respons each have that responsibility if we pick up the exhortation from, from uh, Genesis that a wife is to protect her husband then it's obvious that the opposite is true too although it's not stated but the husband must protect his wife and here it is in that reverse order here's the, her acknowledging that her husband takes on that role as well and uh, um, so uh, very beautiful in the way it's used now that word banner is used another three times in the Song of Solomon I said these repeating of words chapter 5 verse 10 chapter 6 verse 4 and verse 10 chapter 5 verse 10 chapter 6 verse 4 and 10 so four occasions where that word occurs um, a very important word uh, with a lovely principle to it now we've just had two things introduced to us in verse 4 let's put on our thinking caps and use our imagination see if you can come up with it um, how could you summarise in two words that we would be well aware of verse 4 brought me into my banqueting house which is rejoicing and his banner over me which was love which is a military banner Pardon? well yes that would be yeah that would be taking it a step further than what I am and, and applying a name to it but what principle is involved in behold yeah the goodness banquet, house of banqueting and severity it's a military banner so you've got a spiritual principle brought out you know it's the sort of thing I like to do but I sit back and try and work out 
how things fit together and very often that happens it's like when we were looking at the bride remember in the earlier section last time that or sorry it was in the first song that when she was on the bed she had something which brought forth an odour when she was in the vineyard she had something that brought forth an odour there must be a connection there and it was of course serving God in, in our home and in the world and I like to try and put them together and this seem to come together very well as very often a couple of verses or phrases do in scripture that principle of goodness and severity come out so here's the Lord Jesus Christ the representative of his father and she sees him in that double aspect she talks of him that he's one that she can rejoice in the goodness of him but then she's also aware of the the um, the militant side of him the severity side of him that um, he will not tolerate of course that which is wrong so goodness and severity would sum up the two thoughts in verse 4 then she says and she's now at a stage where she's overcome by her position she's reflecting upon the privilege that she has to be brought into his banqueting house and the love that he has shown towards her she is so overcome with it that she she asks for something to, to help her get over it's like a person who's fainting and they want water and she asks for two things she says refresh me the word stay means refresh refresh me with flagons and comfort me the idea is to support comfort me with apples so she's totally overcome as she looks and as we said we're talking with an exaggerated book it's not the sort of language we would use um, I can't see, see my wife talking about me like that and saying when she looks at me she's so overcome she needs to be stayed with flagons and comforted with apples but it's an exaggerated terminology that, that she's using to, to express um, uh, the, the love that she sees in her beloved um, but apply it spiritually brethren and sisters it's how we should feel in ourselves of what God has done you know when we consider at the moment you know you take issues that are taking place all over the world um, whether they be the issues of course of starvation whether they be the issues that people are involved in in the evils of this age the evils of the world we're separated from that we've got no part of it Yahweh has called us separately to that and he has provided his son and a sacrifice which meant the death of his son that we can have life now if anyone should feel weak with emotion it should be us and so there should be in us the feeling that was in her and so she says refresh me with flagons now the word flagons actually is the word for raisin cakes it's used uh, and it's translated that way in most of the translations um, translated that way I've got down here Rotherhams but I know in most of the translations it's given as raisin cakes I haven't come up with any uh, particular reason for it being raisin cakes other than all suggest that because raisins are known for their strength and for refreshment and the cake apparently was made for that reason and it was used to refresh people is that, um, is that the word diplain or something similar I'm not because sure wasn't that in Hosea going with the um, order of diplain which I think means you, might, you might be right um, I could probably got that here marked in here in Hosea uh, be a good connection actually if it was um, because of the theme of the book um, yeah, I've got a mark in here or something. Where are we in verse? Verse uh, three. Of one. Verse three. Yeah, double cake of figs, though, not raisin oh, cakes. Have you got? I've got double raisin cakes. You've got double raisin cakes. I've got no, double 
cake of figs so I'd say it's probably a different word anyway um, well that probably won't help me much take too long to go through strong so if you picked up Englishman you should pick it up fairly quickly we can have a look afterwards um, but um, yeah but it seems that with anything I've read on it the idea of refreshment and of strength in fact I, it's um, alertness is another thing that raisins are known for it's quite common for people who uh, are fatigued in the case of say for instance doing sport I've heard of cyclists um, of sucking raisins for the sugar that's in them for the energy that's in them and for alertness and uh, so that could all be tied up here as well but it's uh, yeah yes they are yeah right, dried grapes so um, it's it's related it Grapes, of course, come out again, particularly in the Song of Solomon. In the next song, we'll come across the uh, the grapes, but these are, of course, dried grapes made into a um, uh, into a cake. But the idea is is very self evident anyway, because the word stay means to refresh. So she's looking for something to refresh her. Somebody can come up with a real good spiritual uh, answer to the raisin cakes. So I'd be very pleased to get her. That's a different word. Yeah, right. Um, just going back one verse I had some notes here I just missed out banqueting house alright another important word it's used seven times actually in the Song of Solomon um, chapter 1 verse 2 and verse 4 chapter 2 verse 4 chapter 4 verse 10 oh sorry no, yeah, go on. chapter 5 verse 1 chapter 7 verse 9 and chapter 8 verse 2 now I should explain that it's not the phrase banqueting house it's the word banqueting which is wine alright the word wine which makes up this word banqueting house in the, in the Hebrew is two words wine house well the word wine is actually used seven times through the, um, through the song so um, another important word and of course it's linked with the grape as we were just pointing out anyway um, then she says comfort me it's translated support in chapter 3 verse 10 so it has the idea to uplift or support me with apples and that's your word apples out of verse 3 that which uh, smells sweetly for I am sick of love now the phrase sick of love doesn't of course when you read that first off it sounds like she's had too much love but it, it actually the word sick is better translated as weak I am weak from love is the way that's generally translated so her love overwhelms her so much that she feels weak and that's why she, um, she asks for the, the raisin cakes and for the apples and then she dreams as it were and she sees herself actually with him because she, although she talks of herself being under his shadow and protection she literally hasn't been joined to him yet but she now sees herself as married to him and in verse 6 it should really start off where it says his left hand the idea is very clearly that uh, and it's translated this way in one of the translations oh that his left hand were under my head and his right hand embraced me apparently it's future it's talking of it's her dreaming and uh, having of course thought about him and, and the greatness of his love she now says oh I wish that day were here I wish I was there and I was married to him and so she says um, that um, oh that his left hand was under my head and his right hand did embrace me 
Now, as we pointed out, it couldn't apply to her literally because under the Jewish custom there would have been no physical contact while she was only simply betrothed to him. But uh, she's looking forward to the time that he would uh, embrace her. Now that becomes an answer to what actually is said at the end of verse 7. She goes on to say, and she turns to her bridesmaids now, and she says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, a connection, by the way, back up into verse 2, that she was like a lily amongst the daughters, um, daughters representing of course the, the, um, the, the ecclesia as it were uh, and she was, um, she was different to them O ye daughters of Jerusalem by the rows and by the hinds of the field that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please very unusual sort of words but when you consider that she is actually as it were in a trance in a dream thinking about him and thinking of their marriage and they're actually being married what she's saying in those last phrase is when she says stir not up nor awake she's talking about not, don't wake me out of this dream I'm having it's, she wants to stay there you know if you've ever been in a, ever having a lovely dream and someone comes and shakes you and wakes you up and you're thinking what was I dreaming about before but um, she was dreaming and she did not want to be woken up um, she couldn't have him literally or second best was to dream about him and so that's what she's saying and um, the phrase awake there in verse 7 literally means to open the eyes and that's the way it would use she would be there as one who is as she didn't want to be woken from her daydream that she was having um, so she says stir not up or awake the words stir and awake by the way there in that verse 7 are the same thing right, stir and awake both the same word um, open the eyes so uh, she's asking them to asking her bridesmaids that to, to leave her there and so that she might keep dreaming keep on dreaming uh, about him now he's likened there in uh, verse 7 to a row and the hinds of the field and these are terms that are going to be picked up again through the through the um, song the word rose there the gazelle that's suggested is has three occasions here chapter 3 verse 5 and chapter 8 and verse 4 Uh, chapter 3 verse 5 and chapter 8 verse 4 now you notice that she she says in verse 7 I charge you by the rose and the hinds of the field and that's a phrase that she's now going to use for her husband so she's charged them in the name of her husband and in simple terms the equivalent to us is in the name of the Lord it's doing things in the name of God in the name of the Lord and um uh, so therefore she's acknowledging that it's in his name she, she is um, uh, occupied if you like in, her, in his name and she, she uses that phrase and tells them to her bridesmaids to leave her alone alright let's go on to the next song song 3 <clears throat> and song 3 now we move into the next stage where the bride is actually preparing and you have the scene now of the bride who's getting closer to a wedding day in fact the day is announced here <coughs> the day is announced here in this song because as the groom talks to her bride she tells her he tells her of the marriage day and so she is getting ready for it in the custom we remember that so going back to the Jewish custom that this would have involved the bridesmaids they literally physically would have bathed her and anointed her and um, they would have dressed her before the occasion 
that comes out not so much in the Jewish section but in the Gentile section the bridesmaids speak in length of the bride as they dress her but it's not so much emphasised here in the Jewish section but it is the Jewish bride preparing and uh, <coughs> so it starts off with the bride speaking verses 8 to 10 and the bride again is as she's getting ready she can hear that her beloved is coming so she says the voice of my beloved behold he comes leaping upon the mountains skipping upon the hills my beloved is like a roe or a young heart behold he standeth outside as it is behind our wall he looks at through the windows showing himself through the lattice so my beloved spake and said unto me rise up my love my fair one and come away and so there's, she firstly hears him coming and there, then she hears him calling her that the day has come and that she's to get up and prepare herself that um, as she might become his bride, she might be married to him. So she starts off by saying the voice. Now I suppose if we wanted to translate that literally into English, we would read it as, I heard the voice. It's, you know, it's omitted there, but that's what the meaning is. You could add it to the beginning of that. The bride is saying, I heard the voice of my beloved. And she says, he's coming, leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. Now I've got a bracket alongside that and I've just got signs of his coming. That there, This is what she's talking about. She can actually hear him coming. And we, of course, are in that situation. When we go through to the Gentile section, we'll, we'll of course, be able to emphasise that more. But we are in that position now. We can actually hear the voice of the beloved as he skips upon the mountains and the hills now the mountains and the hills I believe can be used in two ways they are signs in the world and in the ecclesia because you see mountains and hills are representative of those that are in control and so there are signs in the world we've got some current events tonight that were given to us Russia is now joining the Euro family that's our beloved skipping on the mountains and on the hills we see the signs of his coming as the bride was able to see it in this Jewish context uh, we know it's a sign of the ecclesia because it's the term that's used in Psalm 72 and verse 2 um, if you go back to that probably heard this ad nauseum Psalm 72 and verse 2 about the mountains and little hills but I think it is a beautiful expression and uh, when you come back there to Psalm 72 uh, verses 1 to 3 are the coming of Christ the judgment seat and the bestowal of immortality uh, you've got Christ coming in verse 1 verse 2 a judgment takes place and the result is that mountains and little hills bring peace to the people by righteousness now those mountains and little hills are you and I you see the word mountains is a term that's used of kings in the Old Testament and the word hills is literally the word that's used of the bonnet of the priest not the high priest but of the priest the bonnet that they made was actually this word that's translated hills both here and in Song of Solomon they're both the same word so you've got, the, the, you've got an allusion of course to priesthood in the term little hills so you've got king priests given to us in this verse so those who are judged righteous have become mountains and little hills kings and priests and so we can apply that then back here into this verse in Song of Solomon and of course we would then apply it to the Ecclesia those who are the king priests in prospect um, he can, she can hear the voice of him amongst them 
and so uh, there are signs as we said both in the ecclesia and in the world and I suppose it's always the positive way of looking at problems in the ecclesia uh, things aren't going well I suppose they never really have there's always been problems but as we get closer to the return of Christ there are many problems in the ecclesia and they seem at the moment to be very great indeed well so the um, the signs are both in the world and in the ecclesia <coughs> you me I've got a couple of quotations you can write down there to to um, to use Habakkuk 3 verse 19 and the second of Samuel 22 verse 34 um, Habakkuk 3:14 the 3:19 sorry 3:19 second of Samuel 22:34 just look it up because I'm not, I haven't got any prompt here to, to remind me why I actually chose those um, quotations. Um, Habakkuk uh, 3 and verse... Right, yeah, it's, it's, um, it would be leaping and skipping particularly because... Um, Habakkuk ends his uh, his prophecy by talking of the the um, uh, the future blessings that come from God, and he says, "I'll rejoice in Yahweh. I'll joy in the God of my salvation. Yahweh Elohim is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds' feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places." To the chief singer, uh, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments, and so it's being uh, skipping upon hills. I dare say is the reason that I've used it there or wondering whether that should actually be linked to the next verse verse 9 my beloved is like a roe or a young heart behold he standeth behind our wall so it's probably it's hind's feet would be a reference really to verse 9 I've got it alongside the wrong verse for some reason <coughs> alright so we move into verse 9 uh, verse 9 um, she likens then her beloved like this roe and the heart now the two words are interesting, row we've already picked up, but it's suggested that it is the gazelle and it has the idea of beauty and glory. Uh, it's translated as the beauty of Israel. Uh, I haven't got the quote there, but it's, and it's the quote, you know, where it speaks of the glorious land. It's the same word glorious there, is this word row. So it has the idea of beauty or glory, that particularly, whatever animal it is, doesn't really matter. Um, but the idea that's being presented spiritually is of beauty and glory of course she's already done that when she's talked of him before of course in the terms of the tree but we pick it up again and then she says oh he's like a young heart now in the, uh, the word there is the word which literally means to be strong and it's translated as the oak tree it's translated as a post right so it's translated as something strong it's the word for ram too, one of the words for ram. Um, so something which is strong is presented in the word heart. So again, you can see what we've got, goodness and severity, because you've got something which is, is really uh, emphasising beauty or glory, and then you've got one that's emphasising the strength. So you've got this idea coming in again of goodness and severity, the need for balance in a person's life. Um, you know, we can be too soft, or we can be too hard. The truth, of course, is that we have to have a balance between the two. And um, 
uh, that of course is, is um, uh, hard for us to maintain but in the case of this one who is the Lord Jesus Christ he's the perfect balance of the character of God of goodness and severity and he stands behind our wall looking in at the windows showing himself through the lattice work so you've got this picture now of him moving he's, she's heard him coming she's preparing herself in the house now and you can just sort of picture I suppose using again a bit of imagination she hears the voice of him hears him coming she rushes inside and says to her eyes quick we've got to, you've got to get me dressed we've got to get ready he'll be here soon and he arrives of course and calls to her uh, through the window and um, the idea that's presented in verse 9 is, is somebody who and particularly with the the, um, uh, the phrase showing himself which means which refers to the spark it's an idea it, the word in the Hebrew means to sparkle particularly to sparkle so it would probably be referring to the eyes that's what would have caught her through the through the window and again following through with our imagination you can just imagine how this young man who's been waiting so much time to take his bride the eyes would have been sparkling as she as he looked at her through the window and Sorry. that's the word um, uh, that's the phrase showing himself it's the word to sparkle and uh, it um, as we said would particularly referring to those you notice your margin gives you flourishing which is another meaning for the word as well to sparkle it shows activity in other words it's something not flourishing in the sense necessarily speaking of fruitfulness but it's growing it's moving flourishing so it's got this idea of sparkling, idea of, of vitality and movement, and uh, as I said, would be a, a, is a good expression for the eyes of the um, of the beloved as he looks through the windows. The eyes, of course, being the expression of how he feels. And he says she's looking through the lattice, and the word lattice um, doesn't necessarily mean lattice as we would understand it, because the Hebrew means literally, if you if you apply it, it means green net or network so it may not have been lattice in the sense that we would say wood but probably probably it was a, a vine or a plant growing up over the window which was customary for them to do and uh, it's the figure is used elsewhere in scripture as well of, um, uh, of lattice in that sense so it means literally a green network and we suggest it's probably a creeper on the wall now that would be very fitting to my way of thinking because the bride in Psalm 128 and verse uh, 3 is likened to the vine on the innermost parts of the house. Remember that Psalm 128 is the family psalm and Solomon talking of the house says that the bride, the wife, is like the vine on the innermost parts of the house. Now if you apply that then to here, he's come to the window and what he sees is a vine uh, and he looks through the vine that has been growing and flourishing. So I suggest that if we're looking for spiritual principle it's telling us that here's one who first of all she shows her influence in the house because that's the idea out of Psalm 127 to say that the wife is like a vine and, and it's an interesting phrase because it's on the inside of the house. So you know how some of these, my mother used to love growing things inside and, and it used to grow up along the walls and she'd actually put string along the walls and let it walk around the house. So she filled the inside of the house. Now what it's saying is that the wife is, uh, her atmosphere is seen, uh, her influence is seen in the house. It's the first thing that strikes you when you walk in. 
But of course, in this, if we apply it then here, it means that firstly she has an influence in the house in which she's in, which has to be the ecclesia. But it would also show that from Psalm 128 that she's showing the qualities of a wife. If the vine represents the bride or the wife, and it's here in this context, and she's not even married, she's showing the qualities of the wife even before she's married. Now, of course, that's what a man would look for in a bride. Surely he would look for someone that after the wedding day wouldn't just look pretty walking up the aisle in a wedding dress. If his thoughts don't go beyond that, he's in for a lot of uh, rude shocks. He's got to think in terms of a bride who will also be (coughs) a wife and a mother. And here is one, when he looks through the window, he sees that that's what she is. She's prepared herself, as it were, and she's seen in that latticework as as one who is already showing forth the qualities of the true bride or the true wife. And then he speaks and he says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, of course, literally in verse 10, you've got resurrection. Because when Christ comes, it will be the resurrection. And there it is in the terms, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And so, very literally, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we'll hear him, Um, we'll hear the call and it will be at the time of resurrection Isaiah 26 and verse 19 I've got alongside that because um, the words there are are so suitable because again it's talking of the resurrection and the raising up of the dead ones thy dead shall live with my dead body shall they arise and that's our word here shall they arise, awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust for the dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead and it's it's specifically of course in context of Israel um, in in Isaiah 26 although we'd apply it to ourselves but it is natural Israel that he's talking to the faithful in Israel so a very appropriate quote to put alongside rise up um, Isaiah 26 and verse 19 and come away you could really cross out the word away because the word in the it's just one word in the Hebrew and come uh, and away sometimes gives the wrong impression. In fact, it's where many of the translators or many of the the um, um, commentators on Song of Solomon have gone astray because they have a picture of a beloved out there trying to entice her away from Solomon, entice her away from the harem that he's he's got her into. And that's the idea that the Jews pick up and some brethren have picked up and put into their commentaries. And they would use a verse like this to, to say that, that the beloved, the one whom she's... I mean, it's a real hotspot because they say this beloved is the one that she was engaged to. It's because it's her beloved. But she's been enticed away from him to the harem. And she, in fact, ends up in the harem in the end, end chapter. She ends up in the harem and the... Beloved, the one she was engaged to, is seen skipping away across the mountains, running away from the king, so he won't get killed. So what you've got is this problem, of course, which is a real problem scripturally, that it's an endorsement of a girl who's engaged to go over and marry somebody else, which of course was forbidden by the law anyway. Um, so just if you cross out the word away, it just takes away those connotations. It's that, that um, there was the idea was to draw her away. The idea is that he wanted to be with her. So he says, come, is is better to leave it at that. He wants to be with her. Um, I've got alongside that Hebrews 10 verse uh, 27, uh, yet a little while and he that shall come will come. And that's, of course, the spiritual application to ourselves. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ of course will come and he will call us as he calls his bride here and now the groom speaks in verse 11 through to verse 15 and he talks to firstly to the bride and in verse 15 he talks to the bridal party um, in verse 15 and tells them that they have to do something to prepare for the wedding day and so in verse 11 the, the bride, the groom speaks and he's telling her now about the, the, um, uh, what is in store for her. In other words it's, it's uh, telling her about the kingdom. For lo the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing of birds is come, the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth green figs, the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Arise my love, my fair one, and come away. Now in simple terms, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to build up a picture here, a, a physical picture we can understand, verse 11 to 13 is the address on the invitation, is the, is the time on the invitation. It's his way of expressing the time has come. So we get a, we would, you know, it would be literally the groom who rings up his bride and says, our wedding is now to decide it'll be on the 21st of November. Well, 21st of November is verse 11, 12 and 13 because he gives the date but he gives it in sign language because you see he says it's a time when winter is past rain is gone flowers appear singing takes place the turtle dove is heard the fig tree puts forth grapes and the tender grapes give a good smell so he's got a time in mind so it's the date if you like and of course symbolically to us it's important because it's the, it's the date he's set for his coming when he comes is the wedding date isn't it his coming is taking his bride. So verses 11 to 13 have to be, or 14, are signs of his coming. And um, so we apply them that way and they of course are terms that relate particularly to Israel. Now, winter is past and the rain is over and gone. Okay, first thing that comes out is very naturally, it's springtime, we've told that later on of course, um, it's springtime that we're talking of. It's a time when rain is gone what's rain represent in scripture simple what's rain represent the word of God right so we're into the time period when there is no longer the word available it's the time gross darkness covers the people it's when the saints are removed when there is time no more the word of God is removed so we've got our time slot when Christ will return the wedding date here, although it's relating to Israel, is our wedding date. We're going to meet on the same time. The Jewish bride is not going to come on a different date to us. We're going to meet together and the time is here given to us. It's a time when the word of God is gone. It's a time of judgment, of course. It's the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a time when the flowers appear on the earth, which, of course, gives us the, the idea, of course, of... Um, uh, of it being spring because that's when the flowers appear and so it is after winter comes spring it's springtime spring is the sign of new life so out of this time when the water has been removed in the sense spiritually that God's word will be removed from the world yet the ecclesia is going to be blessed and the bride and those who are represented by her are actually going to flourish so flowers will appear now that word um, the word for flowers there interestingly enough is is um, a word that's um, it means blossom 
and it can be referred to anything, not necessarily flowers, but anything which blossoms. And it's the word used in Genesis 40 verse 10 in the dream of the butler. Um, remember the butler was dreaming and his dream represented the judgment seat. You know, the butler and baker represent us standing before the judgment seat. One is rejected, one is accepted. So their dreams represent the judgment time. And in the case of the butler, the, the, um, the vine flourished and blossomed. And then the grapes came and uh, he was brought back into um, to favour with the king. So we can use this phrase flowers then as a representative of the time of judgment. By extension, it's the judgment seat we're talking about. Yeah, good point. Good point. It is spring, the the blossom showing forth. Yeah, you're right. It's um, it is the the almond, of course, is the symbol of resurrection and life. So while to the world, the time is gone. They will no longer have the water of life given to them until the kingdom, of course. Uh, to the saints, it's a time of flowers appearing. But we've got to remember, of course, always also that it's got this idea through the butler's dream of the time of judgment the time of singing is come you'll notice old birds is in italics it's just the word um, it's the word zamar which is one of the words one of the words used extensively in the scripture to praise um, and it means this apparently comes from the idea of using the fingers so it comes through as music it comes through as singing because that's an extension of that and it's also the word for prune, to prune something. And in fact, in the Septuagint version, it doesn't use the word singing. The Septuagint translates it that it is the time of pruning has come. And there's the emphasis again on the judgment seat. When Christ returns, the first thing is the judgment. And uh, so it is the time of pruning. And the vine, who represents us, or represents particularly Israel, is going to be pruned. It is coming. So it's the time of pruning. But it's also, of course, the time of praise too because it's the time when the saints will sing of their victory and they'll give praise to God. So either way, whether you use it negatively of judgment or positively of singing for praise, that time has now come. And the voice of the turtle dove, should be turtle dove, not turtle, the turtle dove, and why it's translated that way I don't know because it is several times in scripture translated turtle, um, but it's the turtle dove, you know, extensively used in the law when they could bring a, a pigeon or a turtle dove. That's the word here. So using the law as an example, of course, it um, it would represent the poor and humble, wouldn't it? Because that was the lowest, the smallest, most insignificant offering you could bring was the the um, uh, the turtle dove. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, now it's a different word. Like we got dove. Uh, in verse 14 is a different word again uh, so it is different and just what the difference is I'm not sure uh, now I'm trying to think of my what the word is from um, Errol you can't you don't know the word turtle dove haven't got anything there that gives you where it comes from I've got an idea it's got it's a word which means to uh, try to think of the terminology that so I read it only this afternoon but it's to twirl or to um like a rope and so forth so what that's got to do with a dove I don't know but I assumed it was the markings on a turtle dove would distinguish it I don't know but it's a, it's a strange word but everybody seems to agree that um, 
uh, that it is the uh, that's what it's referring to is the turtle dove and of course the turtle dove always returned to Israel in the spring so it's very fitting is it sort of getting down to the size of a um, what's the other things a, a quail sort of yeah See, on, the, on the offering you had a pigeon yeah or two turtle doves right so it was obviously much smaller and two of them yeah little dove right good so again that emphasises our point that it's um, it's representative of, of the of humbleness uh, poorness um, for a quote for that Psalm 74 verse 19 David actually calls himself a turtle dove and he pleads unto Yahweh to he says look after your my, look after your turtle dove and he's talking about himself so he sees himself in that position as very lowly um, so it's the voice of the turtle is heard now again we could apply that of course very clearly to the judgment seat because that is the time when humbleness is going to count isn't it I mean any reference we have to the judgment is along the lines of the one who boasts of course will not be found will be able to have life eternal it is the meek that shall inherit the earth and the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the very graphic description of the judgment seat remember tells us that the one who claims to do this, that and this and mine, thy name he's rejected it's the one who says when did I do that in thy name when did I give someone a glass of water when did I, I help them and um, uh, so it's the humble that are, that are elevated at this time so it's, it is the time of the turtle dove it's not the time of the big eagles and the big birds and the you know, it's a time of the little one. It's a day of small things, I suppose, is another way of putting it, because it's the small that will be elevated in the kingdom in the at the judgment seat, uh, and it's of course heard in our land. Um, the word our land there is Eretz, of course, than the word that's always used for the land, the land of Israel particularly. So it's the blessings upon Israel that will come. Uh, yes. The voice of the turtle is heard. Yeah. Uh, it would be voice in the sense of sound, not, not voice as in speaking. Um, yeah, I don't know again what the, the what, I haven't got the Hebrew word down here is, but uh, you can get voice of all sorts of things. You can even get a voice of inanimate things um, in, the, uh, um, in, the, in the fact that there is a message that comes forth from them. So I don't think it's is that what you meant that whether it's well, speaking? I've sort of, uh, got a rough idea. The doves, like make a specific noise. Right, which a is like a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, yeah, might be a key, Alan. The word voice there might be a different word. You know, when you when you're studying, one thing I found it's almost I find almost impossible to look up every single word. Um, mainly, I suppose, because of time. Because by the time you take a word, you look it up in the concordance, then you look it up in Englishman's, then you go to perhaps Gesenius or whatever to look it up, then look at all the extensions of it. So you tend to pick out words that you think. So I skip read through and I think, oh, well, voice is voice, okay, so I go to the next word. But it's, it's um, amazing how many times it's a word that's, that's a small word like that that you take no notice of that's a key to something. But, um, you get like the turtle dove and the pigeon. Yeah. And they're making love that the male goes like, oh, oh, oh. Makes that, yeah, the, the calling sound, the, the cooing of, cooing, don't they call it? Yeah. The cooing of the dove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so there is a voice. Um, 
Yeah, we do. No. No, it certainly wouldn't be talking. Um, you know, we, in fact, you, it may be that the, the, ver- the word isn't really there and it just says the turtle will be heard. It could be in the Hebrew the turtle is will be heard. Uh, and the uh, translators have added that in there to, um, to help us understand it. Um, but I think the fact, as we said, that the turtle will be heard is telling us that the little people will be elevated at that time. Um, there is a reference to Israel being judged as a turtle dove in Jeremiah 8 and verse 7. So again, we've, as we find in so many things, that the terminology that's used here, while we can apply it to ourselves, in this first section of the book has special reference to, to Israel. And um, so in Jeremiah 8 and verse 7, um, go back to verse 6, the wickedness of, of Israel. Um, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rushes to the battle. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times. The turtle dove and the crane and the swallow observe time of their comings, but my people know not the judgment of Yahweh. So there's a contrast here with Israel and the turtle dove. So he's putting Israel under judgment and saying, Look, you know, even the... um, uh, the, the turtle dove and the swallow and the stork uh, know their place, but Israel doesn't. So it's quite a good quotation to put alongside there because it's saying to Israel, really, if you read it literally, God's saying, why don't you act like a turtle dove? And of course it will be the turtle doves that will be blessed in the time of um, the third song here in, in Song of Solomon. So the sound of the turtle is heard in our land. Then he goes on in verse 13 and gives us another sign which is, as we would say, one of the clearest signs of his coming. The fig tree puts forth green leaves. Now, green figs. What verse are you going to put alongside that? Yeah, 21. Right, Luke 21 or Matthew 24, wouldn't you? Uh, it is the sign of the time. It's the sign of the, the growing, the springing forth again of, the, um, of Israel. So, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs. Now notice that the prophecy of course of Christ is that it will put forth leaves, here it's figs, so it's the end of that time period. That's that one in, in Luke 21 and in, in um, uh, Matthew 24 is the beginning of Israel. It's Israel in 1948 where a fig tree sprouting forth. But here's him coming and there's more than leaves now, there's figs on it. So it's talking of a, a later time period. It's talking of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that he putteth forth. The word literally in the Hebrew is to sweeten or to spice. So it's not putting forth green leaves, green figs. It is sweetening the figs. So green figs are there. And it's now the time for sweetening them. And of course what we can do is in using again that figure. If you look at it, it's very clear. Israel back in the land is a fig tree bringing forth leaves. There will be figs on there at the coming of Christ, but they'll still be green, and he will ripen them when he comes. So you've got Israel back in the land preparing for his coming, and there will be a remnant there who he can take. They're like green figs. They're figs, but they're green. They're giving no juice. And he can take Israel. He could take um, uh, Judah, who are in the land, the figs, and he'll ripen them. 
So we've got that full picture presented to us um, in the fig tree. And this is the time when he now comes to ripen or to sweeten the figs. And the vines with tender grape give a good smell. And the same figure. It's using a different different uh, figure but the same message that there is a vine there. It's got young grapes on it. In fact, the word grape, tender grape is not really grape at all. It's uh, the word for blossom. Um, it's used again in verse 15 so it would really be that the vine has got blossom on it and there again is Israel but there's no fruit on it yet the fruit's not going to come until they acknowledge Yahweh and until they say that what they have done to the Lord Jesus Christ and then of course they will bring forth fruit so it's a fig tree with green figs on it ready to be ripened it's a vine with blossom on it waiting for the fruit to come forth that's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ now they're beautiful um, uh, figures to use of course of the time that we find ourselves in because we are in this time period Uh, it is the signs of his coming Um, vine and fig tree where else will we find those together yeah Micah 4 and Zechariah 3 so vine and fig together are again a symbol of the kingdom age Every man shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. So there's a further extension of the principles of verse 13 that this is the beginning of the kingdom age and therefore the terminology is suitable because we're introduced to figs, fig trees and vines. And there, that's in Micah 4 verse 4 and Zechariah 3 and verse 10. So a lovely figure used in verse 13 of the kingdom. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And again, it is the word come, although they haven't put it here in italics, uh, and come. And so he wants to be with his bride. He goes on then, and we can skip through these fairly quickly. Verse 14, he likens her to a dove. Uh, As we said, it's a different word to the uh, word turtle back in, in verse 12. I'm not even sure what the word is, but it is a different word. It's the word for dove. Uh, in fact I think it's only translated that way in the Old Testament but she's given as a dove and of course dove we've picked up that principle when we looked at the uh, eyes as a dove so we've dealt with all the remember we we have about seven principles or something of the dove so that's what is seen in the bride Um, thou art in the clefts of the rock of course the idea here um, we've got the word selah the word rock and the idea, of course, is that of trust in Yahweh. If you want the quotations, a couple of them, and there's many, many of them, but Psalm 18, verse 2, Psalm 71, verse 3. Psalm 18, verse 2, and Psalm 17, verse 3, and you can put etc. on the end of that. 71, verse 3. I said 71 the first time, and 17 the second, did I? Um, 71, verse 3. Alright, there's just two, and you can put, as I think I've explained to you, what I would do, if, I, if there's more verses that you could use, i just put etc. on the end to show that there are many others that could be used there. And there are, of course, there are, are um, literally dozens of quotations which talk about Yahweh as the rock in, uh, into which we can, uh, can go to receive protection. So it's Israel's trust in Yahweh that's referred to there particularly you probably recall yourself just how many times that Yahweh speaks to his people and tells them that he is their rock and that they can trust in him and she is in the secret places of the stairs 
Um, the word stairs um, is probably not much other word you can use for that, steps or stairs. But interestingly enough, it's the word used of Israel in Ezekiel 38 and verse 20. Um, when, uh, when Russia comes down through the land of Israel, and as she sweeps through Israel, it says, uh, the steep places shall fall. That's specifically relating to the land of Israel. It's not the rest of the world. It's when the thrust comes through the Middle East. Um, the steep places shall fall. And the word steep places is this word stairs. So it's definitely, again, an allusion to natural Israel and the terraces in which they used to... to um, well, they still do, I think, don't they? They still grow things. They always terrace the land. And so, yeah, terraces would probably be a good word to use for that. So, in the secret places of the terraces. Now, secret, of course, is, I think, here used in the sense, of course, that um, people don't understand that they are the chosen people of God. It's a secret. When you go out there into the world and say, who's a Jew? They don't know. It's a secret. And uh, these are the ones who are in Israel. This is Israel, natural Israel. And it's uh, the biggest secret of course as far as the world is concerned is that they are still God's chosen people let me see thy countenance let me hear thy voice for sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely now just quickly pick the points up there that here's the groom speaking now of the bride and he's used exactly the same ideas as she used of him I mean we can understand talking of the beloved that is Christ and talking about his voice being sweet and his countenance comely but this is the groom applying that to the bride so it's very very beautiful indeed that's how Christ sees his bride the ecclesia and then he turns to the bridal party we suggest it's probably the groomsman the male side of it because he says take for us the foxes not take us the foxes in the sense of bring them it's to take them away get rid of them get rid of the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines have tender grapes now if we're looking at this chronologically and we're talking of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ what's the last work of the Elohim but to get rid of the Gogian host who are attacking the vine when, when, Yahweh, when, when Christ and his bride move up they move up into that area of course and uh, the battle of Armageddon takes place and that really is what verse 15 is talking about there are foxes that have to be removed before the, the marriage can start or before the kingdom can start so the foxes would represent political power against Israel now, pardon? enemies of Israel, yeah uh, the enemies of Israel particularly the political power because at Luke 13 remember who is the fox in Luke 13? Herod, right, the political power of the time was likened by Christ to the fox in Luke 13 verses 31 and 32 so there we've got some evidence that foxes is used of political power the, the enemies of, of Israel just, just on that frame in uh, Ezekiel 13 verse 4 foxes are used of yeah. the prophets in Israel yeah, it's a good one to put alongside there as well that, that there needs to be a cleansing of course of false prophets too and Ezekiel 13 verse 4 calls the prophets foxes that were devouring the people. Yahweh says the prophets are like foxes. Well, have you got it open there at the words? Yeah. yeah just read it because it's quite a graphic. O Israel, like prophets are like foxes in the deserts. So the prophets, were, the prophets were feeding on the people and um, unfortunately history will be repeated and within the ecclesia there will be foxes that will have to be removed as well and um, 
because they, there are those in the ecclesia who devour others uh, by introducing of course whether it be doctrine or way of life which is contrary to the word of God and uh, so he says they've, they've got their blossom on them verse 15 that term tender grapes is the same word as back in verse 13 so there's blossom and we'd apply it of course firstly to natural Israel that that blossom would be wiped out if Christ didn't intervene and uh, so the, uh, he calls upon them and it's beautiful in the symbol because if it's the groomsmen here then it's the, the angels it's the Elohim who will cooperate at that time and uh, destroy the enemy in Israel and then the bride concludes this song by saying my beloved is mine and I am his beautiful phrase linked together the idea of course to cleave together the word cleave in the Hebrew means to glue and here's the idea brought out beautifully my beloved is mine and I am his you can't separate us she says that's used three times in the book that phrase um, here and in chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 7 verse 10 chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 7 verse 10 so a beautiful phrase and we say that of Christ don't we he is ours and we are his and he feedeth amongst the lilies the word feedeth is in the Hebrew really the word for to shepherd to feed not so much wouldn't be used normally of feeding of, of a garden it's the use of feeding animals to shepherd so the idea of course is to look after so he's looking after the lilies and that's the work of Christ the lilies are the ecclesia and Christ is feeding amongst us Christ is here he's in our midst he's here tonight working amongst us he's in our lives and he's shepherding the ecclesia and he does that until and that word needs to be underlined or I've got a ring around it that he's going to shepherd them until the daybreak so he'll be there brothers and sisters until we either die or he returns to the earth he will always be there feeding the lilies the ecclesia until the daybreak or breathe the word is literally in Hebrew as one breathes so it talks of the day awakening and breaking but the shadows flee away turn my beloved and be thou like a roe a young heart upon the mountains of separation so um, the picture ends with the bride of course recognising that this is her wedding day and that he's been there feeding the lilies and he'll do so until this day comes and uh, then the shadows of flee away and so forth and the reality of the marriage or of the kingdom will have come so a very beautiful song in song 3 and next time God willing we shall start on song 4 and I think we can do song 4 and 5 next time because as you've already found in that last song we're picking up some phrases and ideas that we've already been introduced to and don't need to emphasise so much so song 4 and 5 God willing next time so whoever's ringing, re ringing reading um, we'll uh, take note that they can read the whole of chapter 3 and verse 4 down to verse 7 of that chapter and we'll God willing deal with that next week yes sorry sixteen yep oh three occurrences here here three one and three one uh, seven ten three one's wrong is it 
my beloved is mine. Um, where's the concordance? I am. Uh, is it six verse three? Is it? Now, why I got three verse one? It's put the other way round, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, six verse three. Good. That somebody looked it up. I am my beloved's and my beloved's mine. I knew it was in the reverse order, but the same phrase. Um, good. I better change that one while I 